time in our service where we normally dismiss our kiddos who are third grade and under, but on the third Sunday of every month, they get to stay in here with us for big church. Um, And so we're going to open up scriptures to Genesis chapter 1 here in a moment for our sermon. But uh, if you want to go ahead and turn there, you're welcome to. And as you do, if you're a guest with us, my name's Shannon. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. And we're glad that you've chosen to join us this morning for worship. Whether you're online with us, tuning in on the live stream, or whether you're here in person, we're glad that you're uh, participating with us today. Uh, when you came in, if you're here in person, you should have found a card like this somewhere around you. On one side of that card is a place for information about yourself. other side of that card is a place for prayer requests. If there are things we can pray with you or for you about, it would be our honor to do that. Uh, if you fill out one of these cards, there's a box at the kiosk in the back of the room. You can drop it there on your way out today. Or you can find that same uh, information on the homepage of our website where you can submit prayer requests or guest information there as well. We'd love to connect with you, answer any questions that you have, and just pray with you about needs that are in your life. Uh, so this morning, as we continue our series through the first 11 chapters of Genesis, we find ourselves one more time, uh, just one more time in Genesis chapter 1, Uh, verses 26 to 31. And so I'll read the text for our hearing this morning. And as I read it, if you don't have a copy in front of you, you can find it on the screen behind me and follow along there. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. And over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth. And every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is God's word. Now, three weeks ago, we... Um, began to drill down into this passage and trying to understand what it means to be created in the image of God as human beings. And we said what it means for you and I, male and female, humanity to be made in the image and likeness of God is that we were made to be glory reflectors. Uh, That we have this unique capacity as human beings to reflect God's glory back to himself and out into the world that he has created. And it's a unique capacity because it's unparalleled in all creation. In other words, there is no other work of God's hands that is able to do this. To reflect back to God his majesty, his splendor, his beauty. Right? His worth and his weight, his significance. And then over the last two weeks, we've considered ways that that image expresses itself in our lives. Two weeks ago, we talked about how it expresses itself through our relationships marked by self-giving love. And then last week, we talked about how it expresses itself in a life that's being restored by the Spirit of God that would be marked by righteousness. 
marked by righteousness. Now this week, we turn to a third way the image expresses itself in our lives, and that's through our exercising of rule over all that God has made. So through relationships, through righteousness, and through rule, all those are avenues of expression for the image of God in our lives. So the first thing I want to see from this text this morning that we read together is this, is that you and I, we were made to rule. We were made to, for it. See, in verses 26 and 28, we see God delegate dominion over the earth to our first parents, to the man and the woman who were made in his image. Now, dominion is a word that we don't use much in our culture today. All right? It's kind of a dying English word. But it's synonymous with terms like power or authority or rule, words that we're more familiar with. So God is delegating to humanity the authority, power, beings who are made in his image. They're set apart from the animals. And one way in which they are set apart from the animals is that they have dominion over all the works of God's hands. You see that in Genesis 126, 128. And again in Psalm 8, we're reminded of the fact that God has given us this type of authority. Now this is a mind-blowing truth in both the ancient and modern worlds, right? Because this distinction is given to all human beings made in God's image, not just a select few. Now, I want you to understand something. In the ancient worldviews that surrounded Israel, whom God was writing to through the book of Genesis, through, the, through Moses, in those ancient worldviews, they did have a category for human beings who were delegated dominion and authority and rule and power by the gods, but it was the nobility, the kings, the queens, the princes, the princesses, right, the emperors, they had been delegated dominion and authority to rule because they were rulers over people. But the average rank and file of the culture would not have understood they had any power, authority, rule, or dominion over anything. And yet, you see, in the Bible, one of the reasons we say that every human being has dignity, worth, and value as being one who's created in the image of God, because what the Bible does is it flattens all those categories. Because the Bible says, the worldview of the Scriptures say, that it's both princes and paupers, both rich and poor, both those who are of great significance and those whose lives seem to be inconsequential have been delegated dominion, rule, power, and authority over the created world. No other worldview in the ancient world held all human beings in that light. Right? So it was a, a unique thing in the ancient world and it continues to be a unique thing in the modern world. Right? Because whenever you look at our culture, even today, there are cultural elites who hold much more power and authority than do the average rank and file. But the Bible says, listen, there is a flattening of all human beings because every one of us is made in the image of God and has been delegated dominion. Every single one. Now, when we begin to talk about authority and power and rule, some of us have the hair on the back of our neck stand up a little bit, right? Yeah, and one of the reasons that is the case is because so many have experienced the abuses of power, the abuses of authority, the abuses of dominion. 
And, but, but I want to say something to you this morning. If that's you, just because you've experienced something that's been abused in a fallen world, it does not mean it is not good in and of itself. Just because governments abuse authority at times doesn't mean that we should all live in an anarchist societies, right, where there is no order, right? So dominion has indeed, because of the introduction of sin into the world in Genesis chapter 3, it's been defaced, okay? It's been distorted, but it has not been erased. It's been defaced in the way that we use power and authority, but authority in and of itself is a good thing. Although it's been abused throughout human history, and that abuse, I want to tell you something, it began in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, whenever the sin enters into the world and the fall takes place, one of the very first things, listen, you got to hear me out here, one of the very first things the man does following the fall is he treats the woman, who is a fellow image bearer, as the animal's who were non-image bearers, by naming her. Which is part of the dominion that he exercised over the animals in Genesis chapter 2 when God brought all the lions and the tigers and bears, oh my, in front of the man and said, listen, name all these things. There was not a suitable helper found for him. So God puts the man into a deep sleep, takes the rib from her side and forms the woman. And yet when sin enters the world and begins to fracture relationships, he exercises dominion over this fellow image bearer by naming her in the same way that he had named the animals. So the abuse of authority began there even immediately after the fall. And I want to tell you something, it's been carried throughout every generation and in every culture. Authority, power, rule, dominion has been abused in families. And some of you have experienced that. Growing up in homes that were not compassionate, loving places, but rather places in which your identity was stripped away, places in which you were abused emotionally or physically or spiritually. It's been abused in countries, right, through dictators who have, who, who have committed Acts of great destruction through genocidal policies that they have instituted. Authority's been abused in churches. It's been abused by spiritual leaders, which is sometimes the most, some of the most egregious ways that it wounds people who do not know that they can ever trust again someone who gets up to say, Thus saith the Lord from God's word. It's been abused all over the place. And when those who are bigger, stronger, more numerous, or powerful dominate those who are smaller, weaker, less numerous, with less power. Listen, I want to tell you something. That is more reflective of animal life than it is of human life created in the image of God. Let me see if I can illustrate it for you this way. Listen, I've been known at times to watch some of my distant relatives on the History Channel. In a little show called Swamp People. Okay? Those of you who don't know, I grew up in South Louisiana, right? Roaming the marshes, okay? And I've been known to watch some of these characters at times, right? And more than once, these alligator hunters, that's what they do. They trap and hunt alligators. And they hunt alligators by hanging these, the nastiest, most disgusting, rotting, smelling meat you can possibly find, right? On these massive hooks attached to ropes that are attached to trees, 
right? And the alligator will smell that blood dripping into the water, will come up, raise his snout out of the water, grab a hold of the meat, and swallow it. And once he does, that hook, he ingests it. And so the, the, the line goes down in the water, and whenever they come by, they see the trees sometimes shaking because the alligator is trying to fight their way off. Right, and so they come by and they grab the line, they pull up. There's, there's usually two people in a boat. I would never do it by myself, right? Two people in a boat. One of them grabs the line, is wrestling the alligator. The other one is aiming for the quarter-sized kill spot in the alligator's forehead because its hide is so dense and its skull is so dense that you have to hit that spot in order to kill the animal and not, not mutilate any of the, the, the good meat or hide that you could sell at market. Right, and so they pull these animals up into the boat. But sometimes... Sometimes there are these massive territorial predatory gators in certain areas. And so when these smaller alligators, some of the smaller alligators are caught on the line, these massive territorial gators will come along, right? And they've got all these weird Cajun names for them, okay? Right? I mean, I'm serious. Like, it's... it's it's a trip. You should watch it sometimes, okay? Right? And so they, they, they come and they will mutilate those smaller gators that are on the line. They will bite off their tails, right? Or they will bite off a limb, right? Because they're, they're predators by nature, right? And so they're mutilating these smaller, weaker, less powerful, vulnerable gators and taking advantage of them. That's what animal life looks like. And listen, whenever, whenever authorities exercise in abusive ways, whenever rule, dominion is carried out in destructive ways, it is reflective of animal life, life not bearing the image of God. That is not what God intended. And one of the reasons we know this is because when you fast forward to the New Testament, listen, one of the things you see Jesus say to his disciples, you know, as they're vying for position, right, to have places of prestige so that they can have high reputations among the people, Jesus will challenge them and he will say, listen, the Gentiles, those who are apart from covenant relationship with God, this is how they exercise authority. They lord it over others. Right? They use their positions of authority in order to rule and manipulate and gain from other people. But he says, it shall not be so among you. Right? For whoever wants to be first shall be last. Whoever wants to be elevated to a platform, he's going to be the servant and the slave of all. He says that's not how authority ought to be used. It ought not to be used to abuse and control and manipulate people. It ought to be used to serve people. That's a completely different way of looking at life. But it does not change, the, the abuse of authority, listen, does not change the fact that we were created to rule. To have dominion over all that God has made. So how do we reflect God's glory through our rule? What does that look like practically in our lives? Let me give you one thing this morning. It's got to be a short sermon because we had baptisms in the Lord's table. So I'm going to give you one thing this morning. There's a lot of things we could say, but I'm going to give you one. Right? To reflect God's glory through our exercising of this dominion or of this rule, this authority that God has delegated to us, it looks like us 
spending our lives to cultivate order from chaos. To cultivate order from chaos. See, in the same way that God forms the earth in the first three days of creation, if you read Genesis 1, He forms the earth, right? So He brings the, 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 the greater light for the day and the lesser light for the night, right? The sun and the moon. He divides the waters from the sea. He's forming the earth. He's taking that which was chaos and He's beginning to form it into order, And then he fills the earth in the final three days of creation, right? With the birds and the fish and the plants and eventually the crowning work of his creation with human beings made in his image. So God forms the earth and then he fills the earth. And then he tells us in Genesis 1.28, he says that he creates humanity in his image and then he says they ought to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now, let's talk about those two pieces because theologians for centuries have called this the cultural mandate. Right? The humanity ought to create culture as it goes forth into the world. And there's two pieces of that. The first one, fill the earth. Now listen, some of you have been pretty good at that. Okay? We've had a lot of babies here in this church over the course of the last two or three years. Okay? Alright? And so we're filling the earth. Amen. Right? But God desires that the earth be filled with His image bearers as representatives of Himself. And one of the reasons He desires that, that there would be all these image bearers to the ends of the earth, is because in the ancient world, one of the ways that kings marked out their authority and ownership of their jurisdiction, right, of the lands that they ruled, the lands that they conquered, was they would set up statues of themselves, there would be reflections of their image. So if a, an emperor went in, conquered another empire or another country or another village even, he might set up a statue of himself in that new land to remind those residents that they are under his rule and his authority. That, that was an image that was set up to remind them that he owns them. He's over them. He rules them. And so God wants His image bearers to be sent to the ends of the earth to remind all of creation that He rules everything and everyone. To fill the earth with His image bearers. But second of all, to subdue the earth. To subdue the earth. Now, listen, there's been recent Bible commentators and scholars who've tried to interpret this word subdue to make it mean this responsibility for building up. But whenever you look at the rest of the ways that word gets used in the Bible, that is not the way that it gets used in other places. Right? The way that that word gets used in other places is that when, when something needs to be subdued, it assumes that the party being subdued is hostile to the subduer. <laughs> okay? Right? They're pushing back. There's a resistance there from being subdued. So it necessitates, necessitates I'm sorry, some sort of strength to be exercised to bring that situation about. Therefore, in Genesis 1.28, when we're told to subdue the earth, it implies that creation is not going to do man's bidding gladly or easily. And that man must now exercise some strength to bring creation into submission to rule over exercising the dominion that God has given him. Right? Why? why? That only makes sense because God puts man in the midst of the garden to do what? To tend it. Why does the garden need tending if it just naturally does what it's supposed to do? Right? So 
man is exercising this responsibility of subduing the earth, taking things which naturally gravitate toward chaos as God did whenever he formed the earth and bringing order out of it. Right? Bringing order out of it. Now, most of us, I don't know all of you, but most of us do not live on 40 acres of fields and gardens where we're working and tending the soil every day. Okay? So how is it that we continue forward bearing this responsibility to subdue and create order in areas and arenas in which things naturally gravitate toward chaos? And they give you a couple of ways. First, I believe that healthy leadership is one way to reflect the glory of God through exercising dominion. See, much of leadership is bringing order from chaos. That's what it is. I was doing some writing for our blog earlier this week and my phone was sitting on the desk and I saw a call coming across from a a gentleman that I had known from a previous church that I had served in and I hadn't talked to him in years. He was one of the individuals who whenever I began to raise funds back in 2016, I went to him and said, hey, here's what we're doing, here's how you can help. And he got on board and he rallied other people to get on board with it as well. And so they began to bring in, he began to give and give and give. And so he called me just to check in and see how things were going. And this is a guy who has worked for years as kind of the CEO, CFO of nonprofit organizations, help them with fundraising, and he's a transition guy, okay? And so he comes in whenever organizations are kind of crumbling, okay? The staff is disgruntled, the finances are plummeting. He comes in, right, and he begins to make changes. They hire him as a guy who's going to be there for three to five years, not going to be there long term, but he's going to come in, transition the organization, move it to a place of health, and then move on and continue to do that. And much of what he does whenever he goes into an organization is taking a situation that is naturally devolved into chaos and restoring order through leadership, through exercising leadership. Right? So much of our professional lives is helping to take situations and places that would naturally devolve into chaos, right? Because organizations without healthy leadership do naturally devolve into chaotic situations, don't they? Some of us have been in those types of professional places. But whenever healthy leadership is there, it is cultivating, right? It's bringing order. It's subduing. That's the work that God has given us. So our professional lives, oftentimes through ways that God has, in leadership God has entrusted to us in our professional lives, that we're cultivating order. But second of all, listen, it also happens in our personal lives. Right? Parenting. <laughs> Parenting is a part of filling the earth Not only filling the earth, but subduing it. Okay? Subduing it. Let me tell you what I mean by that. So much of parenting involves bringing order from chaos as well. Okay? So much of it. Because listen, while children do have some degree of this romantic innocence, right, that we all pine for, okay? They do have some degree of that. 
But as they age without love, nurture, correction, instruction, cultivation, and discipline, they will never grow up. They will be like Peter Pan and the Lost Boys forever. And you know what that is? That is chaos. Nothing but chaos. And so it requires cultivation in the soil of human hearts. That's what your job is as a parent. To raise them, teaching them, raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, yes, but also teaching them responsibility for themselves. That they can't play forever. That boys can't be boys whenever they're 40. Okay? And we have genera- a generational epidemic, right? Because, pe- because there, there was a season in which parents were told, listen, let your children express themselves in whatever way they would like to express themselves. But listen, whenever there's healthy ways for kids to express themselves, but there's unhealthy ways for them to express themselves as well. And so you don't just say, well, boys will be boys whenever they punch somebody because they took a toy from them. No, you have to correct them, instruct them in the proper way to handle situations. What are you doing? You're taking a situation that will naturally, right, your child without destruction... destruction, instruction, correction, care, and nurture will naturally devolve into a place of chaos. And you see that time and time and time again whenever you have parents who have been absent from the lives of their children. They have given birth to a child, but they've not raised that child. And what happens many times, that's why we celebrate stories of people breaking free from that cycle, because the cycle is towards chaos, I don't know if anybody's with me this morning other than me, but it, that's, that's where it moves. So much of parenting is about nurture, instruction, correction, discipline. Bringing order. Bringing order. It's a reflection of God's glory. Subduing. Right? Because I don't, I don't know about your kids, but my kids have not always just said, yes, Father, I shall submit to everything that you have instructed me to do. Okay? Third. Third, so much of our own spiritual growth, listen, it involves bringing order from chaos as we learn to rule over our own sinful inclinations and desires. Because not everything that your heart tells you is good and that you should want, you should want and is good. So much of our spiritual growth is being able to say no to ourselves. Right? Because if we say yes to every sinful inclination and desire, you know what that leads to? It leads to chaos. And being able to say no to some of those things which are destructive in our lives and yes to the things which are constructive in our lives is a part of subduing. See, through healthy leadership, through present parenting, and through learning to say no to some of our desires, right, we're subduing. Now you say, well, that's, that's a stretch from that text. I don't think that it is. Because all those things are part of the realms of creation. The cultural mandate, fill the earth and subdue it. Create, cultivate order from chaos. That's what it looks like. And so much of your professional life and so much of your personal life revolves around that. As a reflection of God's glory. But listen, one final thing I would say to us this morning is this. That not only do we cultivate this kind of order, but we also must learn to celebrate the rule of Jesus himself. 
Because listen, everything that we were meant to be, (laughs) that we are not, he is. Everything that we were meant to be and are not, he is. That's why all throughout the gospel accounts, you'll see Jesus performing miracles related to the created world. Right? He heals the blind and the lame and the deaf and the mute. And you may stop and scratch your head and say, why did Jesus' miracles look the way that they do in the gospel accounts? Why doesn't Jesus perform other miracles? Why doesn't Jesus leap tall buildings in a single bound? Right? Why doesn't Jesus shoot laser beams from his eyes? Right? Why doesn't Jesus run with superhuman speed or wield a hammer made from vibranium that shoots lightning bolts? Why didn't Jesus levitate and fly from place to place? Right? Why don't we see that in the Gospels? If Jesus really wanted to prove he was God, man, he could do some really cool stuff. But you see, Jesus' miracles related to the created world, they're not a suspension of the natural order, which is what superheroes do. Superheroes suspend the natural order to do these superhuman feats. But Jesus' miracles are a restoration of the natural order. A restoration, not a suspension of it, but a restoration of it. Essentially, Jesus is doing what our first parents were tasked with doing. And what all of us who are made in God's image are ought to do. He's subduing the earth. He's restoring order to chaos. Can you imagine how chaotic the life of an individual who is blind would be? Not being able to see anything that's happening around them. And Jesus comes in, restores their sight. And all of a sudden now there's order in their life. Or how desperate and chaotic of a situation it would be for a lame individual in Jesus' day. Before the days of wheelchairs. Before the days of of advanced medical care for an individual who was paralyzed. Imagine how chaotic their situation was not knowing where their next meal was going to come from. If they were abandoned by their family and left by the side of the road. And Jesus comes, touches them and raises them up. And now there's order to their life once again. He's restoring the natural order. And that's a rule worth celebrating. Because Jesus will say, not so among you. Because it was not so with him. As one who's vested with all dominion and all authority, what did he do with it? He picked up a towel and he washed feet. What did he do with it? He restored sight and healed the lame and, get, and, and loosed the tongues of the mute, those who could not speak so they could sing God's praises. What did he do with dominion and authority other than give his life away as a sacrifice serving everyone? That's what he did with authority. That's what he did with dominion. That's what he did with rule. Listen, we were created for that. And although it's been fractured by the fall, we're still able to reflect God's glory whenever we exercise that dominion in ways that take situations that would naturally devolve into chaos and help cultivate them and restore order. And then we live our lives to declare the goodness of Jesus and celebrate His rule over all that He has made. That's the third avenue of of expression of the image of God. 
self-giving love in relationships. Lives that are rightly ordered in righteousness. And lives that reflect God's glory through cultivating order in both our professional and personal venues. All the while celebrating the rule of Jesus. May God make us into a people who become sharper, clearer, more compelling reflections of His glory. Let's pray. Father, today we confess that we need You, even as we sang earlier. We need You. We cannot be what You've made us to be apart from You. Apart from active dependence upon you. So Father, may your Holy Spirit remind us this week of what we were made for. And that we would not settle for less. No matter how enticing sin may be. No matter how enticing the abuse of power may be. No matter how enticing apathy may be. Would you awaken within us a passion to see the world rightly ordered. A passion to see the realms of our responsibility rightly ordered within our homes, within our workplaces, within our church, within our community. And in the same way that Adam tended the garden, that we would tend our lives whether it be through healthy leadership, whether it be through present parenting, whether it be through saying no to our own sinful desires, subduing those to be a clear reflection of your glory. May we live a life of worship celebrating the rule of Jesus who himself gave his life for us sinners. Not only that we might be forgiven, but then we might be clearer reflections. May it be in us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Church, this morning we're going to come and celebrate the Lord's table together. And we do this the third Sunday of every month in order to remember the body of Jesus which was broken for us. And the blood of Jesus which was shed for us. Jesus institutes this in the Gospels with his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion. He gathers them in a room, shares uh, the last Passover with them that he would share as the incarnate Christ. And he passes the bread and they break it. He says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he takes the cup and he blesses it and he passes it among them. He says, this is the new covenant 
This cup represents the new covenant that will be inaugurated by my shed blood. And so whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. And that word remembrance doesn't just mean intellectually recall the details of Jesus' crucifixion, but it means looking back upon what he has done, remembering those things, but then reaffirming our loyalty and our love to him as we come to the table. So if you need to come in repentance of sin, then do so.